Hey, this is Nick here. I wanted to send a quick message to the founders out there. If you're raising your first round of capital and you're not located in the Bay Area, New York City, or Boston, we'd love to connect with you. Newstack leads deals for founders that don't fit the standard Silicon Valley profile and are located in undercapitalized areas. If that describes you, or if you know a startup that fits that description, please send us an email. It's team at newstack.vc. Now here's a word from our partners. This episode of TFR is brought to you by Pacific Western Bank. Pacific Western is the leading provider of venture debt and banking services to startups, growth stage companies, and their investors. Go to pacwest.com to learn more. Welcome to the podcast about investing in startups, where existing investors can learn how to get the best deal possible. And those that have never before invested in startups can learn the keys to success from the venture experts. Your host is Nick Moran, and this is The Full Ratchet. Welcome back to TFR. Today, we're launching a new segment called IS Cram Sessions. It's clear based on feedback from many of you that the Cram Session episodes are fan favorites. So we'd like to do more of that. And I've also heard from a number of listeners that they like to download groups of Investor Stories episodes and listen to them back to back. We thought it'd be a good idea to group together a range of different perspectives into one episode, giving people a sense for different styles and approaches. In light of that, we are launching Investor Story Cram Sessions today. In these episodes, we will string together 10 different investor answers. And with that, hope you enjoy the newest content from TFR. Here it is. On today's special segment, we have Jonathan Struhl of Indicator Ventures. Jonathan, can you tell us about a startup that you were very interested in but chose not to invest in and why it was that you passed? One of the companies that I stay awake at night when I think about is a company that we were looking to invest in. I was investing with my partners as angels, but we were transitioning from angel investing to raising a fund. We did not have the liquidity our fund wasn't set up, so we had to pass, even though we knew this would be a great investment. It's a company called Fresh Plum. Fresh Plum, we saw the deal. The three of us, my two partners, sat in the room and said, we have to invest. And we talked about it and talked about it and it turned out that we just weren't at the time. We had way too much going on and liquidity concerns. So we passed. And then a couple months later, they got acquired by a company called Telepart. And then about six months, seven months, maybe eight months after that, uh, Telepart got acquired by Twitter for like $550 million. There's a bunch of other examples, but that was a, an investment we saw and we immediately loved and got away. So on today's special segment, we have John Greathouse of Rincon Venture Partners. John, can you tell us a story about a startup that you were very interested in, but ultimately chose not to invest, and why it was that you passed? Yeah, you know, there's a couple. Um, the one that comes to mind is uh, a company that I really liked the founder until I realized that her husband worked at the company. And I tried to get right with that. Like, I tried to rationalize how this could work, and I met him, and he was a douchebag, and I tried to say, well, I know he's a douchebag, but... <laughs> but maybe it'll work. I really tried to talk myself into it. And we just had an edict, um, Jim Annelman, my partner, we have an edict that we just don't do those kinds of deals, right? And so we passed. And sure enough, I talked to the woman. She's actually a wonderful person. I'm not going to name her, but she's a very skilled entrepreneur. She sold her company. But when I talked to her, she divorced her husband. 
She said it was a horrible breakup and it really had a big impact on the company. All the things that we were concerned about seemed to have played out. The good news is she did get an exit out of it. And, um, and so she made some money, but I think it was a painful, painful process for everybody. On our special segment series today, we have Joanne Wilson. Joanne, can you tell us a story about a startup that you chose not to invest in, why it was that you passed, and if there was a key learning that now informs your approach? I wish I could say there's one that, damn, I'm sorry I missed on that one. Um, <laughs> by the, but there's one at the very beginning when I started this, I had the ability to invest in one company that had actually become really good, big, and it was a note, and I thought they should be doing equity. I didn't believe in the notes, but then I learned, wait a second, everyone does notes in this angel investing stuff. So that was a lesson learned. But in general, I meet so many different entrepreneurs every day. And sometimes people come in and talk to me and I think, wow, great business. Too bad it's yours. Wow. And so, you know, and other times I have people come and go, go, wow, you're freaking amazing. This is such an awful business. So, you know, I do think that the lessons have been where wrong decisions have been made in the companies or companies have closed. How to keep the door open has really been a learning lesson for me and entrepreneurs. You know, in general, every day is a learning lesson. And there's no real in particular great story except the one about the person I made wire me the money back. <laughs> um, but in general, you know, I feel like all of these entrepreneurs I've invested in are an extension of my family. And all I want to do is see them have success at the level they want to see them success at. And some are bigger and some are smaller. Sort of a shame when that business founder fit or product founder fit just isn't there. It is. But, you know, you hear less about that, but there's more of that than there is success stories. On today's special segment, we have Samil Shaw of the Haystack Fund. Samil, can you tell us about a startup that you were very interested in but chose not to invest in and why it was that you passed? Yeah, I think, uh, yeah, there's a startup in New York where I actually wrote. So the startup now is valued like well over $500 million by legitimate VC funds. It's a consumer brand company. And it was painful for me because I had actually written a post that I wanted to see a company in this space with this model, which I never do. So that was rare. And then the intro was just thrown to me because I, I wrote this post by a friend and he was investing. And I had kind of a bad phone call, like in the sense that it didn't wow me. And I just kind of decided based on that, like, Hey, I don't, I don't know if I buy that. And it's kind of frustrating in the sense that, even though I didn't get to meet the person face to face. And if, if they were local, I probably would have that investment could have probably geez more than returned my fund. Just one phone call. Wow. Uh, yeah. So, you know, there's, I have a few stories like that and I'm, every investor does, you know, how much time do you have? <laughs> <laughs> maybe pick out a key one where you learned a big lesson and maybe it's changed the way that you approach things now. Yeah, I think that I had known Goggin from Sprig for a long time. And when he started the company in the seed round, I could have easily just texted him and said, hey, can I put in some money? And he probably would have said, sure. And I remember 
I remember thinking to myself, I, I just don't think that idea works. I kind of just dismissed it without just sitting down and taking a minute. And, you know, that was a mistake of, especially because I knew Goggin and he's very, very special in terms of being a founder. He's a very special person. So I, I used the reptilian part of my brain around thinking about the idea and categorizing it and dismissing it before really thinking about the ingredients and the other side of my brain. That also may end up being a costly oversight. On today's special segment, we have Bryce Roberts of O'Reilly AlphaTech Ventures and IndyVC. Bryce, can you tell us a story about a startup that you passed on, why it was that you passed, and how that situation played out? Wow. So I would say the most there's a lot of them. The most painful one would be we got my, my partner, Mark Jacobson, and, and Tim O'Reilly had been a seed investor in a company called Blogger.com that was founded by Evan Williams. Blogger ended up getting bought by Google. It ended up being a great return for our fund. And so Evan had, uh, Evan had a podcasting thing that he had done called Odeo, and he had a new thing that he was working on uh, called Twitter. And uh, Mark had been kind of staying close to Evan, had been meeting with him about Twitter. He'd been kind of self-funding it. He'd, he'd given all the money back to investors on Odeo so he could self-fund Twitter. And we had just raised our new fund, and, and part of our fund was we laid out a very explicit set of rules for ourselves. We would write this size of check for this much ownership, and if we ever broke that rule, we would only do it if this caliber of fund were leading the investment. And so uh, we had been talking to Evan, uh, USV Fred had, had gotten him to agree to a term sheet, and nothing in that term sheet um, nothing in that term sheet mapped to what we had told LPs. And so despite the fact that we had a relationship with Evan, despite the fact that we had uh, an allocation in that seed round for Twitter, it broke so many of our rules and we were so scared uh, to go back to our LPs and you know have one of our very first deals be such a departure from what it was that we promised we would deliver as, as GPs that we ended up passing and that was painful. I mean, it was, it, was, it was absolutely a painful lesson to learn. But I'm glad we learned it early on because I think, I think that allowed us the confidence to be able to start breaking our rules more appropriately, not to go like hog wild and break our rules all the time. But man, that was, that was, a, that was a very, very painful lesson to learn. I can imagine. Wow. So for this installment of Why I Passed, we are speaking with Troy Hanikoff. Troy, can you tell us a story about a startup that you chose not to invest in, why it was that you passed, and if there was a key learning that now informs your approach? Yeah, so I've got a great example. So um, 2011, we had, whatever, hundreds of applications and read through them and called our interviews in and announced our class. And right after we announced our class, I got an email from someone who said, hey, I applied, didn't get in, but I was wondering if you had 20 minutes and would meet with me anyway. And I said, sure. About building community, I always meet with these folks. Guy's name was Jeff. So I meet with Jeff, and he starts telling me what he's doing. And it's 
sounding amazing. He has a product in EdTech where he's getting students to answer questions online and his traction is phenomenal. Um, at the time, I want to say he was he had a couple hundred thousand students a month coming to his site. Wow. And uh, the site is called No Red Ink. And uh, so I said, wait a minute, why, why didn't we... Why didn't we interview you? This sounds great. And so I immediately go to my computer and look up his application. Turns out that in the application, he's a single founder. Reason number one, we wouldn't consider him. He has no technical experience or technical co-founder. Reason number two, we wouldn't interview him. He's a Chicago public school teacher, never built a startup, never been an entrepreneur. He, um, He had no traction listed at all. It was just an idea. By what was on paper, or online in this case, there was no reason we would have interviewed him. When I met him in person, unfortunately, after the application process was done, I was enthralled. And so enthralled, I actually made a personal investment. Um, wow. <laughs> my angel backed him. But uh, <laughs> he, uh, today, I don't, know what his, I don't know what the public numbers are now, but he ended up going to an, ex- an education accelerator on the West Coast. He's based in Silicon Valley, um, literally has millions and millions of students um, every month going on and answering questions about grammar. It's called No Red Ink. He's backed by Google Ventures. It's a phenomenal do well while doing good kind of story. And we missed it. And it's kind of bittersweet because I feel like we missed it, because, but none of it was in the application. There wasn't anything to miss. But we really missed a good opportunity and um, he's a great guy and it's a great company and I you know, wish them a ton of success. On today's special segment, we have Jason Heltzer of Origin Ventures. Jason, can you tell me about an investment that you're very interested in, but you ultimately passed and why you decided to pass? I'll talk about FeedBurner. You know, I looked at FeedBurner earlier in my career and uh, I met with Dick Costello, who uh, became CEO of Twitter, as, uh, as we all know. I looked at that business. At the time, they were just getting publishers ramped up. And at the time, their main strategy was, look, we're going to have these RSS feeds and we're going to be able to push advertising through them. Most people use different reader software to look at RSS feeds. And most of the readers were text-based. It's about just basically plunging a bunch of headlines in front of you and clicking on what looked interesting. I was very skeptical of the ability to put advertising through. The publishers ultimately wanted to convert RSS. They were using RSS feeds to bring traffic back to their websites where they knew how to monetize. So I, I looked at that and said, I don't see how it's going to get to revenue. But I fundamentally missed how that company was building value. And the way it was building value was building these relationships with publishers. I mean, they, I don't know how many they eventually wound up. You know, they were eventually acquired by Google for $100 million. Yep. Um, but you know, they, they had probably thousands of publishers, and they had great publishers. And they also really were instrumental in making RSS a true standard. Both of those things had incredible value, you know, not to mention a really good engineering team. I didn't see that. I didn't play that out. And, you know, ultimately, advertising was not a way they made money, or it's certainly not a way they made a ton of money. I could look back and say, well, I was right about that. But it's like saying, you know, I was right about 10% of something, but wrong about 90. You know, you can't, it's like going to Las Vegas and saying, well, I'm, I'm really up uh, in the last three hours today <laughs> and yesterday from two to five. It, you, you can't pick and choose like that. And uh, so, you know, ultimately that was a, su- a successful business. And I think, look, you can't just ignore revenue and in a business model and say, well, you know, the value can be created by eyeballs and traffic. You know, we, we learned in the late 90s, we learned even in, in the late, in a 2007, 8, 9 timeframe that you can't build on that. But there are ways to create true strategic value 
through partnerships, relationship with customers. You know, I think Grubhub demonstrated that with the relationship with restaurants, with the data that it, it, that it achieved with delivery circumferences that no one else had, that they, they got menu data no one else had. You know, those are really, really valuable things that don't necessarily show revenue immediately that you have to be able to extrapolate and see, is a company later on going to pay strategic value for this? And that's something that I've certainly changed since the FeedBurner deal to look at things more holistically. Today, Christopher Mirabile joins us from the Launchpad Venture Group. Christopher, can you tell us a story about a startup that you chose not to invest in, why it was that you passed, and if there was a key learning that now informs your approach? Well, you know, there's the, there's the ones where you're, you're glad, you, <laughs> glad you didn't, um, <laughs> and then there's the embarrassing ones where you passed. You know, I think the area that is troublesome for us here in Boston, which is a town with an enormous number of college students and a ton of research money and raw technology, you know, MIT. We have, it's these ones that look really promising, but when you really get down to it, it's kind of still a science experiment. And the founders are technical and there's really no business experience on the team that nobody's done it before. And you want to love it, but you can't quite get there. And I've had a few situations where I've fallen in love with the team or the technology and thankfully sobered up before writing the check and, and seeing <laughs> these companies, seeing them go on to really kind of struggle to find a business model and to get this technology to market in some kind of a, a capital efficient way. So, you know, that's something that in a city like Boston, you see a lot of you know, raw tech and raw science experiment sort of looking for a problem to solve. Yeah, I wrote a little reminder to myself about six months ago that says, don't fall in love on the first date. Yeah. <laughs> you, you see these companies the first time and the ones that are in your sort of screening set, uh, some of them just sound fantastic. And then you get a little further down the path and uh, you're just setting yourself up for sort of a disappointment. Yeah, it's really a trough of disillusionment, right? I mean, when you first hear about something, it's awesome and the entrepreneur is charming. And, and you know, when you begin to really look at it and, and take different opinions and so forth, you'll often really fall out of love with it. And I think angel investing is about having the perspective to get across that trough and then get back to a place where you write the check. And it takes a lot of experience and having done a lot of deals to sort of understand that all of these things are going to have some warts on them, but uh, which ones are, are going to be acceptable and are going to be recoverable and which ones too many warts or they're too serious. And I think that it's an imperfect art. You never get perfect at it, but with time, you tend to get a sense of which little hiccups can be overlooked and which ones really you need to just stop the presses. At this point, if you're a VC, you've heard of Carta. You've probably even accepted securities from a portfolio company on the platform. It feels like every new company is using Carta, and there's already 16,000 VC-backed companies on the platform. They also offer tools and services for VCs like fund administration. Carta has an army of fund accountants delivering high-quality service and dedicated teams of engineers constantly improving the functionality of their user-friendly investor platform with in-app quarterly reporting, real-time fund metrics, LP portals, and more. It's also easy to switch from an existing fund administrator or to augment your in-house team with their service. 
Learn more about their services at carta.com forward slash investors. In this episode of TFR is brought to you by Pacific Western Bank. Pacific Western specializes in providing financial services to startups, growth stage companies, and their investors, helping to navigate financial obstacles by providing access to funds and expertise. Pacific Western's customized products and team of venture banking specialists provides a banking experience designed specifically with startups and VCs in mind. If you run a tech company or if you invest in tech companies, it's strongly advisable that you build a relationship with the folks at Pacific Western. Go to PacWest.com to learn more. On today's special segment, we have David Brown. David, can you tell me a story about a startup that you decided not to invest in, why it was that you passed, and what you learned that now informs your approach? That's a hard question because, unfortunately, at Techstars, you know, we get twelve to 15,000 applications a year, and we're only able to invest in 100. So yep. the rate of acceptance, the rate of investment is 1%. And so it's not that the ones that we pass on are necessarily bad ideas. It's just we can only pick a few, and we'll give feedback to those that aren't great investments. But really, it's not about saying no. It's just can't say yes to everybody. Yeah, sure. Are there certain key variables that seem to come up more often than others that sort of lead to a pass? Yeah, I mean, our, our criteria, only half-jokingly, are we have six criteria. They're team, 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 market progress, idea. Um, <laughs> So team, team, team is this idea is nothing matters more than the people. So it's our strong belief that great people with mediocre ideas are much more likely to be successful than mediocre people with great ideas. Um, so team, team, and team matters more than anything else, really as much as everything else put together. You know, market is this notion that uh, are you going after something big or if you're really, really successful, at most you're only going to get five customers. Unless those are multi-million dollar customers, it's probably not likely to be a large market. Progress is the ability to get stuff done. Can you move from A to B over a period of time? Or have you and your co-founder had this great idea for a startup for five years and you don't have a product, you don't have a customer, you don't even have a website, then you sort of fail the progress. And then idea is sort of deliberately last because a lot of companies that come through Techstars wind up pivoting. And Yep. We don't want to lock in too much as the idea's top criteria, and that is natural human tendency to think about the idea. Speaking of progress, we recently had Steve Blank on the program, and he talked about how he sort of puts these early startups into a cohort before an investment and monitors their progress over time before deciding to make an investment. I'm kind of curious about some of the startups that don't make the cut at Techstars. Do you ever make a note of some that have tremendous potential, but for some reason they may not be in the right place for the upcoming cohort? And do you track their progress and then take another pass at them for the next round? Yeah, we do. I actually have two ways of answering that question. So the first is we do absolutely keep in touch. And there's a lot of stories of companies that apply two or even three times before they've gotten in. They just weren't ready the first time around. And we said, go go show some progress, come back, and they and they go away, they show progress, and they come back, and then we accept them into a subsequent cohort. So that happens a lot. The second thing that happens a lot is that sometimes a company that applies to Techstars Location 1 is more applicable for Techstars Location 2, so maybe they're in a particular vertical, and it's, say, with one of our 
or whatever. And so we may recommend that they apply to a different type of Techstars, a different location of Techstars. So that happens. And I guess the third point I wanted to make is really we are doing what you described in that we're making a modest investment and through our funds. We continue and do follow-on investments in some of the companies that have been through Techstars, you know, after they've proven themselves. So our special segment series is called Why I Passed. Can you tell us a story about a startup that you evaluated that you did not invest in and why it was that you passed? Sure. Early stage investment, so a seed investment in a company that was started by a professor and she had a co-founder and the co-founder was CEO and the professor was the CTO. And it was her work that she had done, you know, from a research perspective. And, you know, as we got into it, I was, I was very excited about what they were working on. I was uh, a core technology. I liked the people. I was not convinced that this, the person who was the CEO was long-term CEO. And rather than play a bait and switch game in that situation, I generally talk about that before I make the investment. You know, I thought the person who was in the CEO role could be, you know, a strong participant and contributor to the business, but didn't feel like uh, she was CEO. They had a third co-founder who seemed like it was more of a person who had attached themselves to the business versus really being a co-founder. So, you know, there was, a, there was some discussion about team dynamics. And as we got into it, I was very open on my side. So whether that was good for them or not, I don't know, but <laughs> probably wasn't. Uh, but, you know, I, I just view that as my way. I don't want there to be any surprises and I want them to want to invest, take my investment as much as I want to invest in them. And as we got into it near the end, so we were really negotiating the final documents, there became a, a huge number of asks around vesting provisions and, you know, acceleration and employee contracts and stuff like that, which clearly, you know, was a reaction to me being clear about my point of view. And, and then there became some stuff around the IP that was from the professor and what happened and who kept it and whether the company kept it or whether she kept it. And it, it really got to the place where it was clear that they were really struggling with whether they wanted to, to take the money or not or do this deal or work together. And I had a direct conversation with the entrepreneur. And at, at some point I said, I'm not sure that I, I passed in this case so much as they decided not to go forward with the deal. But I, th I think it was both. And in that case, they had a company that was nascent. They hadn't raised any money. And I did it as gracefully as I possibly could. I paid for their legal fees. And I just said, let's call it a day. You know, hopefully we've all learned something from this. Uh, and, and off you go. And, you know, about six months later, they dissolved the company. You know, the relationship between the three people uh, evolved kind of the way I'd expected. And that entrepreneur ended up starting a new company, again, based off of her work. And I'm not an investor in that company. We never really engaged around it. So, you know, I don't know whether I would have been or not. And I'm happy that she got the company that she sort of had a dream about up and going and, and finance is doing something different than that first company from four or five years ago, but still based on, on her research. So I, you know, that's one that sticks out in my mind. I, I just had another situation like that, not one that I'm, I was directly involved in, but one that you know I know the people involved, both the entrepreneurs and the angel investors, that just fell apart at the 11th hour because of almost exactly the same dynamics. So it's at some level, it's a trust issue between the entrepreneurs and the investors. And I like to believe that the more open and direct the investors are in advance, the easier it is for the entrepreneurs to process whether they want those investors. 
And if for some reason an entrepreneur doesn't want me as an investor, that's fine. I've got lots of things to invest in, and I absolutely do not want to be somewhere where I'm not wanted. I think the worst thing that can happen is that people don't say what's on their mind and how they're approaching things and what they're thinking about or concerned about. And then you do get in a situation you know, where you've invested and then something plays out a certain way and there's contention. That, that generally sucks pretty bad. That will conclude this installment of Investor Stories. If you're enjoying the program and would like to see it continue, take a moment and leave a five-star review in iTunes. Also, if you'd like updates on new content from TFR, as well as the top 10 VC articles every week, go to fullratchet.net and sign up for the newsletter. Okay, that will wrap things up for today. Until next time, over-prepare, choose carefully, and invest confidently. Thanks for joining me.